Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello, hello. Kellen Patterson of the O'Kellen clan. The O'Kellens are in the clan. And we're clanning it up, yeah, baby. And this program is sponsored by P4P Muscle, the number one drug free sponsorship foundation in the world. And if, if you are a drug free athlete and are looking for a solid foundation to stand on in a vehicle to drive your goes like what does arise. Like a Mack truck through ice cream and ice cream. Sprinkled with snickerdoodle and chocolate. Why? For the win. Chocolate on your belly and your testis, your tongue just loving every bit of it. Mm, those taste buds <laughs> loving all of it. And now let us chit chat with the band. Hello, there's a ride. I'm not sure what you said in there. But I don't think the word was the word. But uh, I'm thinking a Tolkien almond protein flavor would be fantastic. Someone needs to work on that. A chocolate-covered toasted almond flavor. Yes. That would be that would be fantastic. Do you do you remember the days when we had a different accent every week, or you had a different accent every week? I still don't have right. an accent, but do do you remember those days? I'm gonna grab. I was just listening. I was listening to some past episodes. And I'm like, my gosh, we actually had we had some variety once upon a time, but I think we got comfortable. And then yeah, a thing that also struck me is sometimes our intros are just so slow. Not our intros, but the chit chatter with the banner. I'm like, oh my gosh, our listeners are probably like, can they just get on with it? <laughs> they're saying yeah. they're not saying anything like two words every three minutes. So it was kind of painful. I'm I I'm and I apologize. I apologize, guys. You don't when you're in it, you don't realize it. But when you go back and listen, you're like, oh my gosh, that wasn't our best intro ever. I'll never do it again. <laughs> Why is it? <laughs> but I laugh about it now, but when I was listening to it, I was like, oh, my. <laughs> what were I we doing? I feel absolutely We awful clearly now. had no clue. <laughs> no need to feel awful. You live and learn and you grow, KP. That's what happens over four years of shows. Sometimes we're good. Right. Sometimes we're not so good. That's just the way it goes. But speaking of goodness, bordering on greatness, I do have to give a uh, Natural Olympia shout-out before we embark on our fantastic show tonight. And uh, this one is going to go out to uh, Dr. Peter Chihansky. He was inducted into the uh, Hall of Fame this weekend, or this past weekend. Oh, wow. Yep, the INBA, PNBA, Natural Olympia Bodybuilding Hall of Fame. He is one of the newest members. Um, So I just wanted to say hey to Dr. Peter. We are going to have him on the show in uh, December. But, uh, yeah, just wanted to throw that out there. So carry on, good man. Set us up for tonight. Or answer your telephone. No, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> Just getting a call from another call and trying to answer. And that's okay because someone's trying to call in for the show, and I'm not expecting a call, so it's kind of weird. But anywho, okay. we have basically been dealing with all kinds of issues this year and the years before, in years prior. And there's all kinds of craziness that happens. 
And one of the things that we have to deal with is when you hear people say, you know, the the the, the judging is is always in question and something's not right or or somebody comes up with a lame excuse for the reason for not placing the, the correct athlete in the correct position. And sometimes they're not even scored correctly for the class they're in. And, you know, it's become something that we're I, – I remember some years back where they said, you know, big body, natural body better was going to die because of this subjective mentality that we were having that weren't addressing the correct needs for the athletes that were on stage at the time because some just simply weren't matching up for the criteria that they were in. And we have a great person that made a great status. And I was like, you know, this is something that has to be addressed. If we're going to be real talk, we have to address it sooner or later. And it has to be somebody that's seen it across the board in different organizations and in different federations. And finally, is basically saying something has to be done before we all fall apart. And that's uh, Mr. Martin Drake. So we're going to bring him on, let him introduce himself, and uh, see where this show goes because something has to be done to address the needs of the athlete, if it's all about the athlete. I'll just leave it at that. Hello, Martin. Well, thank you very much for uh, having me on again. I had a wonderful time last time we spoke, and I'm glad you picked up on the post the other day because um, it was a long time coming, I guess. Uh, the post basically stated that I felt that uh, natural bodybuilding was going to die unless we made a couple of major changes in the way we judge events and in the criteria relative to each class. And I strongly stand behind that belief. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start off with the premise that we're going to take off the table any judging that's impartial because of favors, friends, um, any of those type of things. I'm going to start with the premise that everybody at that judging table is attempting to do the right thing and do it without politics. So if we start with that premise, then what is the issue? And to me, the issue is I think we have become, become what I call lazy judges. Mm-hmm. And it has become very easy in the last number of years for somebody to look at an athlete and go, huh, I'm not sure how to judge this, so who's the most shredded? Who's the most ripped? Mm-hmm. Who's the most peeled? Whatever term you want to use. Yeah. And um, we, we play along to that. Now, having come from other sports, including where we show horses in hand, which is tantamount to the same thing as a bodybuilding show, where you are standing them up, you're modeling them, you're going down the rail, they're showing some athleticism. There, the minute you walk and see a lineup, the potential winners become very apparent not because they're the best turned out or in bodybuilding because they're the most shredded, but because they have the best balance. Mm -hmm. And every one of our criteria we use in the horses and in bodybuilding seems to start out with the same type of things relative to confirmation. And they're looking Mm -hmm. for symmetry, 
proportions. Then they're looking at muscularity. Then they're looking at conditioning and presentation. And everybody says that's what they do. And I'm going to offer that it's more difficult when you start taking things apart to judge symmetry, proportion, and so on. Because what you now do is you start looking at individual body parts. And people, you know, are looking at hamstrings. Was his bicep this? Was his back this? Was his lower back? Was he shredded? And at that point, you're lost. And so I offer that what you do is you step back again and you look at that overall proportion and symmetry. And several people, Vicki McCann from DFAC, a number of other people, always are describing it as that X frame mm-hmm. and proportions, symmetry, and so on come first. Mm-hmm. Once you are coming along and you've got some difficult decisions because you got people that are either very proportionate and you got that problem, or you've got a lot of people that don't have symmetry issues, that's when you start peeling the onion back a little bit. We have a tendency to just immediately go towards the easy when we're trying to peel it back and go, oh, this person's the most shredded. Mm-hmm. And the unfortunate thing is the person that's the most shredded often is the person that might be the least healthy person up on stage. Good point. Um, We had an event recently uh, in the industry where two or three people went to the hospital as a result Mm -hmm. of condition the condition they were on on stage uh and in co- and in most cases i believe it to have been dehydration but that's because we've placed such a tremendous emphasis on somebody being shredded peeled whatever term you want to use so that's the first part of it um so in, to me, that now you've got to break it down into two things. One is how do you get a criteria that allows the best athlete to win a class and the judges to be able to properly adjudicate that class without having to go into micro-viewing a body? And I think that's that's where we're at that crossroads today. Oh yeah. And yeah. you know how how many people can stand up to that scrutiny, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I look I look at I look at some people out there that to me have got absolutely phenomenal symmetry proportions. Um, they don't win every show, but they certainly are stellar. You know, I think of a Siobhan Cunningham. I think he's got yeah. tremendous balance, symmetry, proportions, good muscularity. Not not the most shredded guy on stage every time, but certainly comes with enough overall package. Yes. Um, I can look at a Moji Olu. Moji has got the beautiful symmetry, 
isn't always the most shredded, but it's awful hard to get past what he brings out there when he brings a symmetrical, proportionate, balanced, and muscular body. And so in bodybuilding, I think we're going to be able to solve that problem easier if we end up not not going away from, but de-emphasizing conditioning over the other pieces. Everything. It's the, it's the other divisions that we're going to struggle with. And that's another part of what I want to discuss. So I've... Uh... I've had a chance to review your Facebook post, Martin, and it, I mean, you do bring up a lot of good points, and these are all various aspects of this equation that we've talked about on the show in the past. We've talked about, you know, where is bodybuilding going? Is it, it can you decide matter anymore, or is it all about the conditioning? Whoever is the most shredded or peeled, as you've been talking about. And then also, um, you know, I like the fact that you bring up in it, um, you know, if, if conditioning is king or queen as it may be, then, and then where is this going with all of the other categories, which I think this is where you're headed, because you are seeing bikini competitors becoming in harder. And we've been saying that a lot for several years. Bikini are coming in harder and harder, and then that leaves figure to become bigger and bigger. And then, as you've said, physique ladies, are today's female bodybuilders, and thus we have no more bodybuilders because each category below them just keeps getting more and more conditioned and bigger. And I guess I had never really thought about it that way where one piece of criteria can so strongly influence the whole direction of a sport. But when you break it down along that line of thinking, um, you know, it kind of does tell the story and it does make sense. So, you know, if women's physique competitors are the same size as women's bodybuilding, how do you, how do you get any bigger than that? I mean, there can't, there is no women's bodybuilding after that. If, if the category was considered to be, you know, a little bit below women's bodybuilding is, is in fact that category, but it's just called something else because everybody else has been pushed to become bigger and leaner in the smaller categories because the criteria are not being adhered to. And that also touches on another area that I have issue with and that I probably rant about too much is where you have athletes with one body type, but winning multiple categories, which I've, I've, I don't agree with that whatsoever, but when you look at the phenomenon we're talking about, it's like, well, good gravy, man. What what are we going to do with this? Um, Kalen? Yeah. Um, Kimmy, a name people are pretty familiar with in the Midwest for sure. Uh, Kimmy Arnone saw this about five years ago. She saw the direction everything was going. And she came up with a very simplistic uh, plan. And I was thinking, well, yeah, why wouldn't everybody apply this? And basically, she was taking the winners of the categories currently, and this is five years ago when everybody still had distinction of the ranks and the categories and the classes. And she had pictures of the champions and what was making them a champion. And she had it set in each folder and each uh, pamphlet that was giving for the judges. So they could look at that and then look on stage and see what first place looked like 
and see what resembled the very category that they, that we were uh, judging. And I thought that was an excellent idea. I mean, I really thought it was going to take flight, and it seemed like that got kicked to the wayside because, like what Martin was saying, well, when they saw these uh, these great shredded athletes, and suddenly that overruled every other justification and and, and mandatory and everything else, kind of got kicked to the wayside. And I was just kind of amazed that with something that was as simple as that could basically be overlooked because like, I guess, I guess what Des is saying, like the, the king and queen of the criteria had to be the, the, the most conditioned. And I said, well, then what's the point of having categories and criteria if that overrules everything? Because then it becomes a, basically a, the survival of the fittest. And by, by mean that is where true genetics, uh, true um, everything of, of survival, who, who can basically escape the stage being the, the super leanest and the least amount of anything else other than the criteria that's being asked for that category. And it, it was just something that really scared me because like Mike Martin is saying, we're going into the health issue. And I'm saying the people that are winning are at the least state of health when they should be basically celebrating the win. They're basically happy they survived. And that's something that this sport should never get to is where we're basically hoping everyone that gets on stage makes it off without having to take a trip to the hospital. Cause that's something that I could never back or be a part of. What do you think about that, Martin? Well, uh, I, I I agree with you, but I want to take you back to, again, another analogy on the horses to make you understand that we're not alone and how we've done that to ourselves, not only through judging, but through the coaches and the athletes accepting it, where they're willing to, at any cost, win a title. And uh-huh. I, I, showed, I showed Morgan horses, and they're very high-stepping, very pretty horses, and many years ago, there were everybody, every backyard person showed their horses, and we had a lot of fun. And then what would happen is a few of the big boy barns came in. They dominated it, and so people didn't want to show any longer. And we ended up developing new divisions, and one of them was called, something called classic English pleasure. And classic English pleasure was for a horse that didn't trot as high and as with as much excitement as an English pleasure horse. And an English pleasure horse didn't trot and go as animated as a park horse. So we had a hierarchy. So in bodybuilding, in fitness, we had gone from where we used to have very large bodybuilding classes for males and females to increasingly shrinking divisions and we said we've got to do something to bring people in let's bring in other divisions and all of a sudden you bring in a bikini division and a men's physique division which i think had the original intention of bringing athletically fit looking people healthy people from other sports that would look good on stage but didn't necessarily have the level of muscularity and conditioning that a, an elite bodybuilder would have. And we, 
we now look and say, well, okay, how about somebody that's got a little bit more muscularity? Well, now there's something called women's figure. And, well, we don't want to be recognized like women's bodybuilders were that were standing on an IFBB stage. And so, but we want to reward somebody that has gone through that work and we create women's physique. And it sounds like you've got four wonderful dividing lines in the women's division between bodybuilding, physique, figure, and bikini. And so all's good until we screwed it up. And we screwed it up by doing a couple of things. One is we would drop an athlete down into a division where they could be a little more dominant because they were a little bigger, a little bit harder. We could drop them down in the division, and they could win that division where they might be going for a lower placing in the division they belong. And what accelerated that? The organizations and the judges allowed it. And we went with that lazy judging again. So now we've got bikini competitors that are getting more muscular and far harder than they were two, three, four, five, ten years ago, um, and on the line, on up the line. And it's been a combination of the athletes wanting to win no matter what the coaches wanting to feather their nests by having more winners so they find a division where they can dominate, even if they are at the extreme of that class. The judges rewarding extreme natures within the class and the organization doing nothing about making sure the criteria is kept where that doesn't happen. So now my my question is because you know if we're not uh, and I, I hate to get into this because sometimes we you know if we're not protecting the athlete then there's simply no way we can address the true future of this industry if we're putting so many people at risk because if we're driving ourselves in the totally opposite end of the spectrum we're still damaging a human being. Like if we take the drugs out, let's just say we just eliminate everything with with the drugs because that's that's where I would love for this sport to get is where we don't have any cheaters ever, where they're just that afraid of basically trying to step into the the natural realm. But let's go and, and throw that out of there and then go to the, the the extreme damage that we're doing to people that are being natural athletes and and are pers- the best personification of it we're still not helping the athlete if we're getting to these extreme measures. So I, I think that's where, where you're getting at is, is one of the points, because if you know, you, it, we can't keep going in this way if it's unsustainable. And, you know, the whole thing of being a natural athlete is having a lifetime of good health at the end of the road. And I, I keep hearing where, you know, they're saying it's, it's part of the game and it's the nature of the beast. And I can't imagine any other sport where you would have people, you know, like I've played every major sport that you can think of, you know, even down to bowling. And, and, and I never imagined where they said, well, let's go to the most extreme version 
And I, I think back to when Jordan was talking about the, the flu game where he said he was willing to die to, to, to you know, to win that game. And I'm saying if, if, if we have every time we get on stage where this is the mentality, then sooner or later it's going to happen. And I, I don't want to be at that show. I don't want to be in that venue where we're putting the athletes at that kind of risk. So, so what's a, a short-term solution? And then what's this long-term solution where we can figure this out before we do have that extreme version of what would be considered uh, competition? Well, I think short-term is what we talked about with better criteria that's properly enforced. Um, I, I think that helps. I also believe that the less than optimal drug testing that's done by most organizations plays into that and here's what i mean look at any organization that lists drug test failures and when was the last time you saw a drug test failure for a diuretic yeah you, you don't see it in a couple of years. right and and why is that because the panel testing that they do precludes diuretics. Diuretics don't show up. They don't test for them, most organizations. Now, if you are promoting drug-free bodybuilding and fitness, and you're talking about you're taking care of the athlete, and an athlete gets up on your stage, and they die, and they die because of the extreme condition they got into, and they get rewarded for extreme conditioning. Let's say they just won a class and walk off and drop dead. Yeah. Do you, do you honestly believe that that promoter, that organization, and potentially those judges are not liable for that incident? I certainly think any good attorney would make a viable case that would certainly make a jury think about it. Okay? And so how do you mm-hmm. preclude that? You you do everything that you can as an organization to mitigate that and indemnify the people involved. You have criteria that is sound and that at some point be willing to penalize extreme conditioning. You provide, you provide medical insurance for the athletes so they, if something happens, you're taking care of them immediately, and they're not having to decide whether they can afford to go to a hospital when they're going through an issue. You, do the, you make sure that your judges are not awarding an unhealthy situation because it's visually appealing to those of us that think we're uh, knowledgeable about a physique. Okay. Yes. You 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 you've got to then put the onus and responsibility back on everybody involved, and that becomes the organization. It becomes the promoter. It becomes the judges. It becomes the trainer. It becomes the athlete. There's mutual culpability. But if you put in all of the right things and you are following 
your criteria, you do two things. You indemnify everybody involved, and you preclude dangerous practices from happening. Beth, are you still there? Uh, yeah, I'm still there. I'm just taking it all in. I thought I thought you still had more there, KP. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, these are just things that we have been talking about for a long time, and in some organizations they improve and other organizations they don't. But until you really get that across the board, you're going to continue to have situations like Mark was talking about where some folks had to go to the hospital because they weren't trained properly and we can blame it on the coaches or we can blame it on the judges for you know awarding um irresponsible training but it's no matter who we want to point the finger at it is a group issue that you know one one part of the equation just enables the other to continue on in this circle of behavior that we don't want to see because it is not in the athlete's best interest but we all know whether it's the coach, whether it's the athlete, whether it's the judges not, you know, or taking part in lazy judging as Martin called it, it it's all that drive to win and or, you know, recognize winners. This is how we get. This is where we are. And I, you know, it, he's. I think he's right on the money with short-term and long-term, but then how do you get that consistently across organizations? That's to me, the even bigger question, but you got to start micro and organization by organization, the ones that are doing well, then, you know, we got to bring the rest of the orgs up to be mirroring the things that they're doing. And that's the even bigger part of the challenge. Well, it's amazing the response and you've read some of the responses and I got many private messages and the, and the, the people basically were saying, that's why I am either not interested in competing, no longer interested in competing, or walked away from the sport because the criteria has gotten out of hand. The judging is rewarding the wrong people per category. And it's become, as several people call it, a dieting contest. It's become a number of things that the term bodybuilding and fitness don't imply. Bodybuilding it has in the word building. It, the assumption is yeah. you're developing more muscle on your body. You're making it look better. You're making it look more proportionate. You're making it look more balanced. You're taking care of your flaws. Nowhere in that title does it talk about being shredded. Fitness. Fitness, to me, is a personification of health. Yes. Nowhere in fitness do I hear the word diet. Now, we don't, we don't want people coming on stage. You know, I get on stage. I'm not the most fit guy in the world for a, mere, a million reasons. So people could say, hey, look at Martin. He gets on stage. He's not optimal condition. And they're absolutely right. But I'm going to tell you that we have to look at athletes as people that we care about, people that we want healthy, 
and we want to represent a healthy sport to a public that right now has not embraced us because we are so extreme. We, we look at the organizations that are not tested and we go, you guys are ruining bodybuilding because you're producing people that are overly large and clownish, right? But we're doing it right down here, the drug-free bodybuilding, because we've got all these people that are shredded to the bone, barely able to think when they're going on stage. And when they get off yeah. the stage, they're, they're half dying, and they haven't drunk water in a day and a half. Yeah. Dad, you can remember that show we, we went to where that happened, and, and, and it broke my heart. I mean, it's it, it, like I said, we're going it, as bad as we want to say somebody's doing. If we're not doing much better just without the drugs, then, you know, what's the point? And uh, I think one of the biggest things we have to look at, like Des is saying, if we're not addressing the needs of the athletes, then what the heck are we doing? I mean, what what is – what's uh, – what's, uh, I, I, I can't for the life of me say this is a healthy sport if we're having people consistently, you know, ready to pass out or, or poor, you know, like if, if it's enforced at the top and basically everyone else has to follow suit. And if we enforce it at the bottom, then we can meet somewhere in the middle because the, the knowledge is there. We, we have the knowledge uh, available to address this issue. And we have more than enough capable judges if they're allowed to judge without the understanding that conditioning trumps everything. Because one of the first things that I had an issue with, and, and this is just because I was so so much into bodybuilding, is like, like Martin is saying, we're talking about bodybuilding. And so I said, if we're undersizing what everyone comes to look at, which is the bodybuilders, because of the size and the musculature, and we're undersizing them, the first question I had is, all right, if they step off stage winning their pro card, how many years are they going to have to go without stepping on stage to compete against the pros that are already in the rank? Because we already had definitive bodybuilders that know to come on stage with size that know to come on stage with the musculature and the symmetry and the x frame, And then you have an undersized uh, pro card winner stepping on stage that's basically 40 and 50 pounds of weight that hasn't been done because of diet. And he's stepping mm-hmm. on stage against well-tenured bodybuilding athletes, and they look small and and so you know you you have people in the audience asking the question why are they even up there and that's a blow to an ego of someone who just won their pro pro card so when you have someone like that stepping away that's depleting the ranks of the up and coming and and so you know it's like when i say about not sustainable i'm addressing the bigger picture of how are we going to have athletes basically getting on stage when their egos are shot, they realize they're 40 to 50 pounds underweight, and the diet that they're on isn't going to add that weight for another four to five years. I don't know anybody else who would want to be that athlete where every five years you're competing. It, it, to me, it doesn't add up. It doesn't round up. And at some point, your health is going to take a blow. 
in that process, how do we keep the ranks growing if we're doing everything to make sure that they don't even want to try again? I mean, because like a lot of these athletes, they compete, and now they hate the sport. It's not a dislike. It's a true, distinct hate. And if we're not addressing them, then we're only asking the ranks to grow with that kind of ideology and thinking. If if I'm wrong, somebody help me out. Uh, Martin, you go first. Well, so one thing about social media is you get to read what people are really thinking because they have a tendency to talk out loud, right, in writing. Yes. And the interesting thing about almost every time I see somebody get off stage, they talk about the the struggles they went through, how horrible it was getting there, what they had to sacrifice, what they had to give up, um, the trials and tribulations they went through in getting ready for a bodybuilding show. It used to be people get off the stage and go, man, what an experience. I worked my butt off training during that time. Um, I, I, now to, I now know I need to change things, maybe get my calves a little bigger, uh, get my waist a little bit smaller, but it's good. And they're talking about all the positive things they did during their training, and they talk about how they grew and how they made minor changes or major changes in their body to look different. And today, all I read about is everybody that suffered when they were prepping for a bodybuilding contest. You don't read about what exercises they did, how many times they were in the squat rack, how many times they did that. It's all about how did they prep for it, meaning how did they diet for it, what substances did they take, whether it's legal or not, to get there. Um, I talked to somebody recently, they said, um, somebody that failed the drug test. He said, I did nothing wrong. I took only natural substances. I mean, the only thing I was on was six types of laxatives and four types of over-the-counter diuretics, and, oh. and they start yeah. listening all this stuff. And they're thinking this is healthy stuff. Right? Wow. Because it's, because it's over-the-counter. You know, six laxative types, four or five diuretics that are supposed to be over-the-counter. Uh, that, there's wow. no difference in that mentality than somebody that makes a wonderful cocktail of every anabolic agent out there. It's no different. Yeah. It is zero wow. difference. I, I don't hear people talking about how they trained, how they brought up their back a little bit, how they got a little wider, how they got their calves a little bit better. You don't read that. You talk, you, you're talking about how I got to this condition and the suffering I went through. If, if I was suffering every time I was getting ready for a contest of any type, whether it was a basketball tournament, a pickleball tournament, or a bodybuilding show, right, I don't think I would be doing it. You know, you can talk about I trained my butt off and there were long sessions, but you don't suffer. But I think part of it, too, I, you know, I almost have to take a step back and go a little bit different direction here because, A, 
yes, there are those people out there. We have people out there training incorrectly. But for individuals who have embraced the sport, they love it, they understand it for what it is, and they handle their training properly, they are talking about what they do differently, about games in the gym, about this, that, and the next thing. Those people are still out there. You do have the complainers, and there is an issue but for anyone listening to this show right now, I'm afraid we're going to have several people walking away saying, what the hell is bodybuilding even a sport for? Because this is ridiculous. People are going to the hospital. Judges can't judge. Nobody enjoys it. Are those things out there? You're darn toot and they are out there. But that is not the big picture. And I just almost have to draw a line and say, folks, that's not all that there is to bodybuilding because for as many negatives as we've talked about tonight, there are lots more positives. I think the crux of tonight's show is showing concern for athletes going to the extreme to win because basically it comes down to criteria not being adhered to. The criteria has either gotten fuzzy or it wasn't clear to begin with. And I think part of the challenge is because more categories have popped up and they were not adequately defined when it happened. And so it's been evolving over the years without that clear, distinct line in the sand on what is what is what. And to Martin's point, and he brought up a great point, and I still believe it's a great point, is that with the criteria either being blurry, the judges have had little to work with in there in some organizations. Like I said, some organizations are definitely improving, and we've seen it, and we've talked about it. But, um, you know, that we've just defaulted to awarding the best body, whether that body should have been in that category or not. And I don't agree with that. I haven't agreed with that. I've probably been the complaining complainer the whole time about that. And that, I believe, but is at that- the heart of what, why things are happening the way that they're happening. And well, so- take, take, a look, take a look at the people that really win the big events. They are people that have been around a long time that do know how to train well and that do know how to do things safely. That's why they endure, right? So last weekend, Philip Ricardo won a major title. Philip's been around for 25 years, obviously doing things right, having a great time, enjoying it. He knows what he's doing. Uh, Doug Brignoli came out of retirement, which was really a misnomer. He's never stopped training well won our universe a number of weeks ago at age 59, looked phenomenal. But they, these guys don't look at it that way. It's not, it, it's not a struggle for them. It's not a hardship for them. It's a joy for them to craft their bodies yeah. as well as they have because they do know how to do it right. But right now... There's not. We need more of them and less of the people yes. that are looking for the shortcut. Yes, yes, a hundred percent. Yes. So I've got a comment here or two from Brandon that I'm going to share here. Um, I think he's coming back to the point of where we were talking about, you know, athletes not complaining about how much they're suffering, and that, you know. Going back to um, 
conditioning just can't be the main criteria that everything is based on. But he's saying, I think a competitor should compete every other year, not every year. So I don't know if that should be a criteria or not, but it's an opinion. Competing every year doesn't allow the body long enough time to gain true muscle in areas that need to grow. So if, if, if we stop, you know, looking at um, conditioning, because conditioning is important, it's not the only criteria, but it is an important criteria, what are we going to have? Are we going to start having a fluffy category? And that doesn't do the sport justice either because it is about the body. We do know that the leaner you are, the better your muscle shows. But I think the point is you have to have the muscle to show it. Just leaning down, leaning and down, the, leaning and down. Underdeveloped. Yes, and the symmetry. Just continuing to lean down to show underdeveloped muscle doesn't necessarily make you a bodybuilder. It just makes you an extremely lean individual. I mean, I, so, I, so I, maybe I'm, I'm wrong. That's how I see well, it. So, so, so I've had a couple little debates with this young man who's a very bright young man. It's the same person I know of. And uh, if based on what the way we're doing things today, he's right. If you are dieting down so extreme that your hormones get out of in balance and you're having to go to the doctor in your mid-20s to have your hormones checked uh, because they're so whacked out from the dieting, yeah, you do, do need to take a year off to, for your body to recover. I agree. But if you look back at the bodybuilders' 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and even 90s, they competed every year because they didn't do as many draconian methods, and they weren't coming down by such large amounts, and they weren't taking their body into an area where they were so depleted that they could that their hormones are wrecked. They were coming down from into an area that was still a safe zone relative to that and not affecting their hormones and then building some muscle. If Steve Reeves stepped on stage today, he wouldn't get the first in the first call out. And yet he's got what everybody arguably agrees is one of the best bodies in the history of the world, but would he be noticed because he is in his condition today? Right. Yeah. So, so yes, if, if you are doing the way it's being done today, it is very difficult to compete each year. But if you change the criteria where we don't reward extreme conditioning, and of course we don't want to reward somebody that's not ready either, so find the right balance, then people can compete more often, continue to grow because their off-season isn't about getting back their health. Their off-season is putting on a few pounds, getting a little more sculpting done, a little more muscular growth in certain areas, and coming back better, not, coming, not waiting yeah. to, for your health to recover. <laughs> and that like that goes back to uh, judging. That goes back to you know the organization. So you know it it's it's a fix that can be accomplished. It's not something that's a, a, a five year project. This is something that can be done next year, first show in April. I mean, this, it can this, be uh, it can be I, done in the first show. That's correct. Yes, 
And, and, and Absolutely it's not, not something that would take an awful lot. So, you know, it, it's something that can be done, but I guess the question now is who's willing to set the, set, set the form and the format and the foundation to make sure this is, is this can happen on a regular basis and not just at certain shows. Well, hopefully each organization will look at it. You know, we all think that we haven't strayed too far from the path. Um, I felt we've done a decent job at that within our organization, but I honestly believe that even uh, feeling that way, we need to take a look and say, are we doing this at all? Do we need to make any type of changes? Do we need to uh, reemphasize the cemetery proportion and so on? Example, I just saw an, an event where once somebody picked out and called out his top performers, they were doing five to six sets of quarter turns. Now, if you got judges that know symmetry and proportion, you turn once, you know who's the most symmetrical and who's the pro- most proportionate. If lighting's bad, you move them, you do it a second time. If you're doing it five or six times and the athletes are sitting there flexing as hard as they can, you're trying to get your panel to look at something other than symmetry and proportion. You're having them try to dissect the individual muscularity in a round that's not intended to do that. So uh, we'll take a look at it ourselves. We're going to say, hey, have we strayed off the path any? Do we believe that we're on good grounds? If we believe that there's improvement to be made, I'm going to make a strong emphasis to my team that we make sure that we look at our own criteria, which says symmetry and proportions first, muscularity based on which class you're in, obviously. Second, conditioning and presentation are down the line a little bit. And um, make sure that we're doing what we say we're going to be doing. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest part of it. So, I mean, and you know, I've, I've loved this debate tonight just because you have to have these conversations in order for change to occur, and change is occurring. It has been occurring, um, not all at the same speed across organizations, but it's happening. And the fact that the conversation is still here, I don't necessarily look at that as a bad thing. I look at it as people are paying attention they're cognizant of how they want to see things improve, and they're being vocal about it. And when you're vocal about it is when change starts to happen. And so I think these are just good things to keep discussing until there's nothing to discuss anymore. And then we'll move on and discuss something else. Um, you know, as long as things continue to move forward and improve, then I say, you know what, bring it on. Keep it going. Let's keep talking about it, and let's keep making bodybuilding better and better all the time. That's my two cents. It's an absolutely wonderful sport. It is something that we should all want to do, which is to make our bodies look better, feel better, and be healthier. And that's what bodybuilding is about. And, you know, then the people that have done the best job of developing a beautiful, symmetrical, proportionate, muscular body should be reward, rewarded for that. And 
you know, people have always looked at that type of physique, and generally it's been admired by people. The question is, the physiques that we present today, whether it be on the drug-tested side or the non-drug-tested side, are they really what people strive to look like, and are they the type of healthy condition that people are striving to achieve? And if the answer is no, we need to make an adjustment. And that I agree. Health is paramount. And it always will be. And so I appreciate that as well. Kaylin, last thoughts on tonight. We're running low on time, so we want to make sure we get in everything that we can get in. Well, again, I go back to the sustainability of the sport, the true health of the athletes, and they go hand in hand. If we don't have well-known athletes that can compete uh, more often, then you you put the the whole industry at risk because we have champions. I mean, we have many, many champions that are well-known. And if we're getting to the point where they can't be seen on a regular basis, then we're we're putting them at a risk and and a a place that we shouldn't. And I I will just go back to Fear Factor, that show, where they were pushing and pushing and pushing until someone uh, basically had, had died and they were able to revive him. But, you know, then they realize, you know, where do we go from here? And because we've hit the, the, the rock bottom and this is what people are coming to expect. So if we don't uh, rein it in at, at some point, then we're going to be putting the industry and, and some athlete in that position. And I, I simply do not want to be a part of that. And I thank God that we have clear heads that are saying, hey, we need to evaluate what's going on before we get to that, uh, Martin Drake being one of them. And I'm sure he's not alone in that ideology or that thinking. So we we can save the sport, and I love everything about it. Just the areas that need to be fixed definitely need to be fixed because I've never seen uh, any machine put on any factory floor that didn't have safeguards to ensure everyone's safety. And that's all I'm asking for in the in, in this industry as well. That. All right, and there you have it. So, Martin, in our last couple minutes of time, we've had a big topic. Um, I'm sure it's caused a lot of debate out there with our listeners, but hopefully it's caused some thought to oh, you. Don't have to worry and, about uh, we, uh, we didn't get a real in-depth introduction of yourself, so if you would please just take these last couple of minutes, tell folks about the AAU, which is the Amateur Athletic Union. You just said this is an area you're going to be focusing on in your um, bodybuilding scope of things under the AAU. So just tell them a little bit about AAU, where they can find more information, and just sure. kind of get a feel for how your arm of things, well, they know what your opinion is and where direction you're going, but a feel for your organizations, because it's still one of the lesser known, I hate to admit it, at least in our neck of the woods here in the Midwest, when it comes to natural bodybuilding. Well, thank you very much. Uh, AAU created in 1888, actually is credited with, by many as creating the sport in the United States in 1938, uh, and we'd shut it down in 99. I brought it back in 2017. Thus, we are on an education process of people understanding who AAU is, if you tell them AAU basketball, it rings a bell. If you tell them AAU bodybuilding yep. with young people, they're not quite there yet. And so we're spending a lot of time. 
Uh, our mission is real simple. We want it to be a healthy, affordable sport for anybody that wants to get involved with it. And we want it to be as devoid as politics as possible. Since we brought it back, we've talked to many, many organizations. Many have approached us. And we have agreed to disagree on a number of issues. But we found a couple of partners. One is the ICN, which today is by and large the the largest natural organization in the world. Um, And DFAC, out of uh, primarily out of Great Britain, and then a local organization out out of Ohio, which is the NPF. We've partnered up with these people because we have like minded um, beliefs that it should be safe, it should be affordable, it should be uh, void of politics, and it should be something that somebody really, really enjoys. And so one of our big things that we're looking forward to is we have combined our AAU universe with the ICN Worlds in November 7th, 8th, and 9th of 2020 for a three-day show in Las Vegas. Um, The ICN Worlds this last year had 789 competitors. And so we think a portion of those will become the United States. And so we hope to bring an extremely large, well-run, fun and affordable event to Vegas, combining the two organizations with our two premier titles. All right, very good. And where can they um, go online and find out more about what you've just been sharing? Well, I'm going to offer that our own website is not the ideal one because we share it an awful lot (laughs) with overall aausports.org. So they can get to us through aaustrengthsports, aaubodybuilding.org, any one of those. But we also have a very large Facebook presence. Um, They can find it through me or do anything with AAU bodybuilding on Facebook, AAU weightlifting. You'll find a lot of different Facebook group pages, and we've used that more for disseminating information than a static website. Um, And uh, I will be working with our parent body to see if we can get our website improved where it's has more information on it, but during that time, we've been using a lot more of the social media to uh, get the word around. All right, there you have it, guys. So you can check them out on Facebook primarily. You can look for Martin Drake or AAU Bodybuilding or AAU And with that, Martin, I just want to say thanks again for uh, being a watchdog out there and uh, sparking the tough conversations and for joining us tonight to uh, be on the show and share with us. Well, thank you very much. You know, if we don't address the tough subjects, then we won't have a subject to address in the future. Mm. So, you know, in order Mm. for us to sustain, sustaining is fine. Growing is our desire. For us to grow, we have to have a product out there that people will accept, people will enjoy, and will find healthy and rewarding. And if we can do that, this sport's going to grow tremendously. And I say amen to that. 
thank you one more time. So on behalf of Martin Drake, AAU, Natural Bodybuilding, Kaylin Patterson and myself, the boys from P for P Muscle, your body is a temple, so let's build it. <laughs>